This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We turn in God's Word this morning to Acts, Acts chapter 3 and 4. Acts chapter 3. We begin reading in Acts 3 verse 11. We read through chapter 4 verse 12. Acts 3 verse 11. This takes place after Peter and John have, in the name of Jesus Christ, healed a lame man. This is what we read thereafter. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son, Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let Him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. In His name, through faith in His name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by Him hath given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance He did it, as did also your rulers, But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all His prophets, that Christ should suffer, He hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up His Son, Jesus, sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from His iniquities. 
And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that to their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindreds of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them, as Peter and John in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. We read that far in God's holy word on the basis of that portion of Scripture. Many other passages of the inspired Word of God. We have the teaching of the Catechism, Lord's Day 11. I remind you that the Heidelberg Catechism is explaining faith and having defined faith as a certain knowledge and assured confidence. It describes the object or who we believe by explaining the Apostles' Creed. We have considered the first section of the Apostles' Creed on God the Father, our Creator, and the God of Providence. We believe that God. And now the Catechism brings us to its second section, the lengthiest on God the Son. This is who we believe. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, a Savior? Because He saveth us and delivereth us from our sins. And likewise, because we ought not to seek, neither can find salvation in any other. Do such then believe in Jesus, the only Savior? who seek their salvation and welfare of saints of themselves or anywhere else. They do not, for though they boast of Him in words, yet in deeds they deny Jesus, the only Deliverer and Savior. For one of these two things must be true, either that Jesus is not a complete Savior, or that they 
who by a true faith receive this Savior must find all things in Him necessary to their salvation. Beloved, in the name of Jesus Christ, there are many in this world who would claim the name as you do. That they know Jesus. And they believe in Jesus. Many who use the name but refer to very different things and saviors other than the Jesus of Scripture which John and Peter preach. Which Jesus do you believe? The true Jesus or the many false Christs which the Word of God promises will come in these last days. Which Jesus, the true Christ, or the many idols which take His name in vain? There is the Jesus of the cults, the Jesus of the false religions, a kind person, a great teacher and even prophet, as the Bible does call Him, an example, but not truly and completely the Savior. There is the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, one of the contemporary Christian industry who is made to sound like he is yearning for a romantic relationship. There is a soft and easygoing one who condones sin in the evangelical church and even in Reformed churches filled with hyper-Calvinism and antinomianism. There is the weak Jesus who begs to save, but He can't, and so He knocks and He pleads, but depends on you. There is the one of the superstition or Roman Catholic Church. An image, a good luck charm. A baby in a manger or a crucifix that you can touch or pray to when you want something done your way. There is the one of the health and wealth gospel. It will give you much advice, even good advice financially. And how to give so that you might get. There's the Pentecostal kind, which is like a genie in a lamp interested in doing magic to heal, to help you do signs and give you special revelations. If only you can be more holy. There's a New Age one that will bring you to a state of great ecstasy that you experience very really according to feelings the more you wave your arms and chant along to soft or hard music. There is the one of postmodern America and world who doesn't care much about absolute truth and says 
that Jesus is anyone who you feel He is. The world and the church world has invented so many different versions of Jesus, more than I have listed this morning. Jesus according to their own preference. There's so many fakes. There's so many counterfeits and idols out there. But there is only one true Jesus. The Jesus that Peter and John spoke about. And it is in His name, in His name alone, this Jesus that we must be saved. You must believe on Him or perish. This morning, though I list all the different kinds of Jesuses out there, I'm not calling you to go and try to judge the salvation of all the people out there, whether they're saved or not, whether they truly believe in the true Jesus, I'm calling you to believe in the true Jesus or perish. The Catechism says we ought not seek, neither can find salvation in any other. And Peter and John proclaim, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Peter and John preached this Jesus soon after Pentecost. i give you a little bit of the context from the passage that we read. They joined the crowds, remember? We just studied this in catechism class for many of the younger ones in this church. Well, Peter and John went to the temple to pray and they met at the gate beautiful, a lame man who had been lame from his mother's womb for about 40 years. We say in catechism class, his legs were like sticks. And he begged, for silver or gold. And Peter said, and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, in that name, don't forget, Jesus, rise up and walk. And that lame man immediately took up or arose, was taken up by Peter. And he didn't just walk, but he received strength to walk and to leap and to praise God, we read, from Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And the crowds, of course, in the temple are amazed. They stand in wonderment, but not yet in faith. They gather around Peter and John and this lame man, and they listen to the preaching, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing the Word of God. And Peter preached to them, Why look ye so earnestly on us? as though it is by our power that this layman, layman is healed, that he can walk, and he preached to them Jesus. The name of Jesus. The Jesus, he said, very pointedly, that you killed. You murdered the Prince of Life. God hath raised Him from the dead. And He's coming to judge. Repent ye, and be converted to this Jesus that your sins may be blotted out. And 5,000 believed under the preaching of Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees, as you know, we read, took Peter and John, threw them in prison, put them on trial, and asked them in a great gathering of hardened, unbelieving church leaders, by whose power did you heal this man? And Peter preached to his persecutors with a boldness unfounded in this world today. He preached to the very men who were persecuting him. 
by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucify, you kill, and God raised from the dead, even by the name of him that God raised, that hath God raised this man here, he stands before you whole. But Peter didn't stop there. It's not merely by the name of Jesus that a man is made to walk. But it's only by this Jesus that there comes salvation. And neither is there salvation in any other, he said to them. There is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus, the name whereby we must be saved. First, the peculiar Savior. Second, the complete Savior. Third, the exclusive Savior. Peter preached the peculiar Savior. When he spoke of Jesus and the name of Jesus, he wasn't talking about the many others who are called Jesus in this world. And he wasn't talking about the many others in his day who were also called by the name Jesus. You should know there were plenty of other people with the same name, Jesus, in Peter's day and in John's day, contemporary to Jesus. It was a common name that other parents had named their sons. In fact, if you look through the Old Testament, you will find Joshua, the one who followed Moses, the leader of Israel. And there were other Joshuas besides that one. Joshua is the Old Testament name equivalent to Jesus. It means the same thing. What does it mean, children? You should know. It should come off your lips. You should know it intellectually. You should know it in the depths of your heart. Jehovah, Savior. That's what Joshua or Jesus means. Jehovah, salvation. And when people like Joshua of the Old Testament were named... Jehovah, salvation. Their names were a beautiful confession by their parents and by them, many of them, that Jehovah was their Savior because salvation is of the Lord. Believers trusted in the same Jehovah, Savior, and thus named their sons that and confess that in their name. But when Peter speaks of that name, Josh, Joshua or Jesus, he is specific. Notice Acts 4.10. With Jesus, Jesus who is the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus whom you crucified and whom God raised, this Jesus, and this Jesus alone, Peter is saying, saves. There is salvation in none other. And here is one of the significant differences between the Son of God called Jesus and the other Joshua's and Jesus's in the Old Testament and New Testament and today. Jesus was given the name by direct revelation from God. For every son born to parents, to mothers and fathers, Humans name their children such. Yes, under God's providence also, the parents gave them such a name as a confession, as we said, of Jehovah's work of salvation. But for Jesus, the Son of God, it was different. 
For that Son of God conceived in the womb of the Virgin, remember, God chose His name. He had His name in His mind from eternity and gave that name. God sent the angel Gabriel, Luke one thirty one. Behold, Gabriel said to Mary, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. By direct revelation from God, he was given this name. And to Joseph, God said, Matthew 1.21, She shall bring forth a son, Joseph, this, this woman. No, does not. He, she does not know a man. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? The explanation of Gabriel to Joseph. Because he shall save his people from their sins. By direct revelation, God gave the Son of God this name. And thus the name Jesus it wasn't just a label. It wasn't even just a confession. The name Jesus, children was not what Mary called out when she wanted her son to come in for dinner to distinguish him from the other children outside playing. That's how our names often are used. His name, children, is not merely a word with a beautiful meaning, though it has a beautiful meaning and confession in it. Don't take it in vain. But His name is more. His name is who He is. Jesus is the very revelation of who He is. And I refresh your memory on who He is as revealed by that name. Three parts about who Jesus is. His name reveals that He is Jehovah Himself. Now you know that. Jehovah. Salvation. Not just a confession that Jehovah is the Savior, but that this Jesus is Jehovah, the I am that I am. I remind you of that time when Jehovah God came as a consuming fire not only upon Mount Sinai, but before that in a burning bush in the desert so that when Moses approached Jehovah, God said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. You meet with Jehovah today. Don't you approach with your sleepy eyes. You're on holy ground. Jesus is Jehovah, the Holy One of Israel. And when Moses asked, what should I tell Israel? What should I tell Pharaoh when they asked, who sent me? God said, the I am. The I am that I am. Which signifies the eternality of God. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is eternally in the present. I am. But more, you know, His name, Jehovah, means He is the covenant God. Eternally, I am love. That's why it's the covenant name. He's always had a covenant within Himself. The God of love. He is love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
and perfect fellowship and friendship within Himself, but also this, as Jehovah the covenant God, eternally within His counsel, He has loved His people. Eternally within His counsel, He is ordained to have the same kind of friendship and fellowship with them as He has within Himself. He is the Jehovah, the I Am, that I Am, the covenant God. But now remember, what is so astounding, what is so striking about this name is that we're not only talking about how God is the I Am, how God is this covenant God, but how this one, who was a baby in the womb of the virgin, this one who came to a lowly manger, This one who became a slave when he took on our weak flesh and soul. This one who came to suffer all his life, unspeakable agony, and especially on the cross. This one is the I am that I am. Great is that mystery of godliness before Abraham was he said that man said he still says before Abraham was I am John 8 58 the Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in the true Jesus Because though their name is Jehovah Witnesses, they don't witness to the true Jehovah. Jesus is very God. The second person of the Trinity. Co-equal, co-eternal. Jehovah, the Son. Beloved, understand this. It's not only to point to the Jehovah's Witnesses, to other cults and religions who deny the deity of God. Remember, Jesus is not merely someone God sent. Yes, He is someone God sent, but He's not merely someone God sent. It's not as though God took a scapegoat, though it's pictured by a scapegoat. It's not as though He took a scapegoat and said, all the sins of My people I lay upon someone else other than Me and other than you. That's not the Gospel. Be impressed with the Gospel again. Jehovah Himself, the I Am that I Am Himself, condescended to your lowly estate to become sin for you. The I Am that I Am who had all life in Himself came and died for you to suffer Hell for you. That's who Jesus is. That's in His name. Salvation is of the Lord. That is of Jehovah. And of no one else. He Himself shed His blood for you. 
You'll notice that I haven't yet referred to the Lord's Day itself, but now I do. I haven't because it does not make the explicit point from Jesus' name that He is Jehovah. But it makes what I call a beautiful assumption. A beautiful assumption in the question, the first question of Lord's Day 11. Why, notice, is the Son of God called Jesus? Why is the Son of God called Jesus? The catechism doesn't bother to explain that Jesus is the Son of God. That He is God, Jehovah. It assumes it. It assumes it because it's in the very name. It's essential to who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. It's a beautiful assumption. He is Jehovah God. The name Jesus reveals that to us. And secondly, the name Jesus tells us that He is the Savior from sin. The Savior from sin. His name, remember, means Jehovah Savior. And the word Savior, Gabriel explained to Joseph, means this, Thou shalt call His name Jesus, Savior, for He shall save His people from their sins. Never forget that. From their sins. That's the kind of Savior He is. He saveth and delivereth us, the catechism explains, from our sins. And to impress that upon you, beloved, let me put it in such a way that is directed to you. Yes, I'm talking to you in the singular. To you in the singular. To you by name. Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. You are a sinner. You don't just have sins. You are a sinner. You are full of sins. You don't know how filthy a sinner you are because sin is that blinding. You are still spewing forth sin as we speak, tainting your best works of worship, though you may listen attentively and you ought to. You're still hateful and proud and self-righteous. You have the worst of sins of homosexuality and abuse and grossness within your heart. And all of it is an attack against Jehovah Himself. As John and Peter put it, to kill the Prince of Life. That's what your sins are. That's the nature of sin. You are desperately wicked of yourself. That's why it took Jehovah God Himself to stoop that low to die. To save from sin. He's a Savior from sin. And that is offensive. That is the offense of the Gospel, beloved. Jehovah didn't come to save sinners only like you. But remember, Jehovah came to save sinners of whom you are chief and I am chief. 
And that has to be emphasized in our day and age, beloved, because one of the greatest follies of mankind is to imagine that he needs a salvation other than this kind. Something different. Something more. The eternal, unchangeable God who knows all things, who knows what is best for us, knows what we need. The eternal and unchangeable and wise God says, the salvation that I've planned for my people, the salvation they desperately need more than they understand themselves, is that He needs salvation from sin. And mankind says, I know better. I want salvation according to my preferences. A salvation that is on this earth. A relief from all my problems here below. And in fact, in fact, I want the salvation so badly, man says, that if he says that he has come to save me from myself and from my sin, then I'm going to kill him and murder him. And that is exactly what the world did. That is exactly what mankind did when Jehovah Savior came. They didn't want that salvation that Jesus said He came to give. And so they killed Him, the Prince of Life. And that's no different today, beloved. If Jesus came to this church today, you and I, according to our sinful natures, would murder Him again, if you could. Mankind today would rather have a Jesus that would condone their sin and heal them of all their infirmities on this earth. And get rid of financial instability and poverty and wars and injustice and all the hardships that we face. But when God's people focus on that kind of gospel, they lose the gospel. Don't, beloved. Don't. I touch a very sensitive topic now. But it's needed. The church and churches are dealing with abuse. And we must deal with abuse. We must. We must deal with abuser justly. And we must discipline him and excommunicate him. And not let him excuse his sin, though he try to manipulate us. We must bring Christian discipline, and we must care for the victim with compassion and love, and not neglect them as we have. But in all of our distress about abuse, in all of our necessary work to take care of this problem and even repent of this problem in the church and churches. We must not let it distract from this Gospel, remember. And Jesus first and foremost came to save you, both the abuser and the abused. From your sin. To save sinners. Both abuser and abused must say. Of whom I 
than the chief. No matter what we deal with in the church of Jesus Christ here below, don't lose sight of that. There's a third point with the name Jesus reveals. Jesus means Jehovah God Himself. He is Savior from sin, my sin. And He is Savior of His elect people. And of His elect people only. Joseph, the angel Gabriel, announced the name Jesus, remember? In Matthew 1, and he said, For he shall save his people. Not every single person head for head, but his people. An election again, you know, is revealed in the very name of Jesus, and you know it well as a Reformed church and Reformed believers. But it's essential, it's integral to the Gospel, to the name Jesus. The truth of election is not merely about winning an argument against the Arminian who denies the truth of unconditional election. It's not merely to prove the Reformed position correct against those who deny election. The truth of election is to uphold the name Jesus, that He is actually a Savior, that He is effectually a Savior, that when He died, beloved, when He died, He actually finished suffering for the sins of each one of His people by name. That's how important election is. If there is no election, unconditional election, and Jesus, as the Arminian says, comes to save a hypothetical universe of all men, to make salvation available, then He didn't actually save everyone because in the end it still depends on man. And He's no more a Savior. Election upholds the truth of Jesus being Savior. He actually saved. When He died, He actually finished paying for sins. None of everyone. But of only His people. So that every one of His people whom He died for actually escape hell are actually covered by His blood, atoned for, and are redeemed. Jesus is Jehovah, the covenant God, Savior from my sin, who effectually paid for the salvation of His elect people and them alone. And it necessarily follows then that He is also a complete Savior. If He's Savior, and that's His name, He is the perfect Savior. And don't, don't say that any part, even a teeny weeny part, not any part of salvation is outside of Jesus. All of salvation is in Jesus. He is the complete Savior. Take any part of salvation, even a little part, and say, someone else has to do it. And you deny that Jesus is a complete Savior 
and in the end deny that Jesus is the Savior altogether. If He is the Savior and the perfect one, then He accomplishes all, completely all, of salvation. True faith, the Catechism says, receives this Savior and must find all things in Him necessary to their salvation. It's one of two things the Catechism says. Either that Jesus is not a complete Savior. That's where I get the title of the second point. Either He's not a complete Savior, but He is. Or that by a true faith we see He is a complete Savior. We'll find all things in Him for our salvation. In other words, Jesus didn't. He didn't accomplish most of salvation and then leaves for man like you and me to accomplish a little bit of it ourselves. If He did that, not only would He be no longer the Savior, but we would be able to raise our hand, as many do today, and claim to be Savior. That's blasphemy. Jesus is a complete Savior. The Catechism brings up old, old errors that deny Jesus as this Savior. And a complete one at that. There are very real and present dangers today, and so I warn you of it. It asks in the question, the second question, do such then believe in Jesus, the only Savior, who seek their salvation and welfare? And then lists three errors of saints, of themselves, or anywhere else covering the ever-increasing multitude of idols and false Jesuses today. The saints of themselves or anywhere else. When the Catechism speaks of saints, it refers to what the Roman Catholic, yes, the Roman Catholic Church still teaches. The Virgin Mary and other saints somehow cooperate with Jesus to be co-mediators. You can pray to them and they pray to God for you. The Roman Catholic calls upon the members of their institution to pray the saints like Peter and John that we read in Acts 4. And they would roll on their graves if they heard about that. Because they explicitly say it's not by our power, but in the name of Jesus that we are saved. The Catechism speaks of themselves, and that's where especially we must be warned. Of saints of themselves. False Jesuses of today and false religions of today always lead back to this idol, the me idol, self idol. I want to have something to do with my salvation. That's man. That's the totally depraved nature in us that we still have. The Roman Catholic Church teaches merit. Man does something to gain, to earn. It was the error of the Jews, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees that Peter and John were preaching to. And they said, neither is there salvation in any other, including in yourselves. It's the error of every pagan religion 
somehow, some way. It's by your works. Do such then believe, the Catechism says, in Jesus, the only Savior, who seek their salvation and welfare of saints, of themselves or anywhere else, they do not, the answer, for though they boast of Him in words, yet in deeds they deny Jesus, the only Deliverer and Savior. They say, many do, Jesus is the only Savior. He completely saves. They boast in words. But in their deeds, they deny Him. In other aspects of their confession, they blame others for sin and use their self-righteousness to cover their sin. That's what we do by nature, isn't it? It's not just the error out there. It's what we're prone to. The Catechism points to the Arminian idea when it refers to in themselves. The Arminian teaching it can be summed up this way, that Christ has earned salvation fully for all, but for the application of that salvation to the heart, to the soul. Man must, by his free will, do something, accept. It's a teeny part, but it's a part according to the Arminians. A denial of Jesus as the complete Savior. Practically speaking, as I've already said, we, we tend to this. Pride. Pride is practical self-righteousness in the most reformed men. It's practical self-righteousness that displaces Christ as complete Savior. Denominational pride is something we have to be warned against. The name Protestant Reform is not where we find our salvation. It certainly is the case that Christ is in His church. He is here in the Protestant Reformed churches. He uses means in the churches. But there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that name is not the name PR. That name is Jesus. It's not even partially PR. It is Jesus only. The errors, the errors that were at odds and fighting against each other in our churches, we have to be warned against. Both. They all both have to do in the area, the realm of sanctification, though not only sanctification. How are we made holy? How are we sanctified? The error on one side has been said. It has been said. That we must do good works of obedience. 
that our obedience, in some sense, our obedience is what gains us sanctification or other blessings or experience in the covenant. So that though not intentionally, it was taught that works like hoops and boxes to check off are that which we do in order to be holy. But beloved, sanctification is part of salvation. And if all of salvation is in Jesus Christ, and sanctification is too. Jesus is the complete Savior, the one who sanctifies. You and I do not sanctify ourselves with our works, though it is in the way of works that Christ sanctifies us. Through faith alone and Christ alone are we made holy. But there's an error on the other side, which ironically, beloved, also denies the complete Savior. The error that says that we don't have to be in the way of good works. That is not really necessary to put forth effort in doing good works. That we are totally depraved and really, if holiness happens, it happens automatically. Sanctification then is not really a work of Jesus Christ in me and upon me to change me and make me willing and ready to live unto Him. Well, then Jesus would be an incomplete Savior, wouldn't He? He is a complete Savior. He is a complete Savior. He sanctifies. And when He sanctifies, He does not only work for us, for our forgiveness, so that we are already perfectly holy in God's sight. He does that, and that first. But He also, in us, works very real, progressive sanctification so that we, like that lame man though we were, now walk and even leap and live unto Him, beloved. That is part of the Gospel of Jesus who is the complete Savior. Believe in Him. I call to that this morning. Believe in this Jesus, this Jesus only. Not the Savior of your own imagination, but this Jesus, Jehovah Savior, Jehovah of the God of the unconditional covenant, who Himself came to suffer and to die to save you from your sins. And mine, from sin's guilt and sin's power, to make us righteous before God and to live and walk according to His commandments. Believe in this Jesus. Depend on Him. He's the only one. He's the exclusive one. This peculiar Savior that has been described this morning, I dare say, is the only Savior. The only one that can save you, the Catechism says. Can save you. Not only the one that you should find all of salvation in, but the only one that can save you. 
In other words, if you go to any other Jesus and you rest in any other Savior, you cannot be saved. That is not politically correct to say today. That is not nice in the church world to say today. That the one that is preached today is the only Jesus and the only name whereby you can be saved. That will be condemned as hateful and that will be condemned as proud And yes, we must be careful not to speak proudly. But you will be persecuted for this if you hold and proclaim boldly that it's this Jesus and this Jesus only whereby we must be saved. Peter and John prayed for that boldness. God gave them that boldness to speak before their persecutors. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name under heaven given among men. Search the world, the entire universe. There's none other whereby we must be saved. Must. Must be saved. Why that way? Because first of all, it's an obligation to you. You must believe in this Jesus. Call to that. But the word must also has this comforting truth. Must speaks of the certainty of salvation. By this Jesus. To all who believe even if that faith is so weak. We must be saved. We, Peter and John said, referring to the elect, referring to those who today rest in Jesus, we must be saved. We cannot be lost in spite of our sins in spite of all the hardships that we must go through, in spite of all the subtle denials that our old man brings up in our minds, denials of Jesus and His complete work, to us, He says, you must be saved. It cannot be otherwise. Why? Because Jesus is that great a Savior. Amen. Let's pray. O God, Jehovah, our Savior, salvation is indeed all of Thee and not of ourselves. Forgive us if we have in words boasted and yet in deeds denied Jesus as the complete Savior. Make Him the peculiar, one-of-a-kind Savior from sin. My sin. This chief's sinner sin. 
Make Him, O God, that Savior which we cling to more desperately today and exclusively is the only one in which all of salvation must be found. We thank Thee for giving Him to us and also the faith whereby we can believe this too is part of His saving work. Cause us daily, O God, to learn the greatness of Jesus even in the way of sin as we see our sins more and more. May we see the greatness of sin, not only our own sin, but then also the greatness of Jesus the Savior from sin. And cause us to repent daily, resting in Jesus and living, walking as that lame man did according to Thy commandments and thanks. What a name, O God. May we ever praise Him today, every day, one day, when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus, He alone is Lord, to the glory of Thee, our Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at Hope rwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.